0: Hello, and welcome to another moment with Eric Fleming. I am your host, Eric Fleming. Um, I am glad that you are joining me on this podcast. Um, I am hopeful that you are spreading the word about this podcast and letting other people know that. We are out here um, discussing the issues and how it relates to us as African Americans. Uh This has been a political podcast and it will continue to be a political podcast. But we are going to address things that some people will say, well, maybe it's not political, but actually it is. This episode definitely will be and political in every sense it won't be anything ambiguous about that. Um, if you are listening to the podcast, I hope that you are encouraged to support the podcast financially. Uh, we have a page on patreon. Uh, you can go to uh, patreon.com slash with Eric Fleming to be a subscriber. Or you can go to uh, momenteric.com and uh, go ahead. And if you don't want to be a subscriber, but want to be, a, you want to make a donation, there'll be links of how to do that. Uh, again, this is a new journey for me uh, to ask for support. Um, but again, there are some things that I want to do to expand his podcast, and uh, make it more enjoyable for the listeners. Um, So, I encourage y'all to participate that way. So, normally, when I have a guest, I try to find a quote that fits that guest, whether it's something they said or something from somebody that has inspired them or is related to the work that they do, right? Um, but since I don't have a guest this episode, and I am going to start getting guests again once things here in Atlanta settle down, and i I honestly, guys, from a personal tip, I don't know when that will be, but it'll be soon. I promise you that um, but anyway um so since I don't have a guest, I do want to start off with this quote. As the head of the executive branch and commander-in-chief, I have a unique constitutional responsibility to protect the nation's classified information, including by controlling access to it. More broadly, the issue of a former executive branch official security clearance raises larger questions about the practice of former officials maintaining access to our nation's most sensitive secrets long after their time in government has ended. Such access (coughs) is particularly inappropriate when former officials have transitioned into highly partisan positions and seek to use real or perceived access to sensitive information to validate their political attacks. Any access granted to our nation's secrets should be in furtherance of national, not personal interest. So you understand this quote is kind of timely considering, you know, all the talk about, um, the indictment of the former president, the federal indictment this time of the former president, Donald Trump, uh, 37 counts, uh, he's facing 31 of them, uh, are concerning the actual documents. And let me, let me go through. So this is an accurate accounting of what has happened. And you pardon me because, uh, I hope that you have read this document. Um, because it's, it's 49 pages. And, um, but it's really not, um, that, that hard of a read. I know a lot of people say uh, 49, 50 pages, you know, it's 49 pages, but it's not really that hard. Um, to get through it. So basically, former president has 31 counts of willful retention of national defense information. So basically, there's 31 documents that he had in his possession that he should not have had once he was no longer president, right? has one count of conspiracy to obstruct justice, Um, one count of withholding a document or record, Um, one count of corruptly concealing a document or record, one count of concealing a document in a federal investigation. One count to scheme to conceal, and one count of false statements and representations. Now, there's another gentleman that's involved in this, too. His name is Waltine Natu. uh, Or Nada, I'm sorry, Waltine Nada. And uh, Mr. Nada based on what the press is describing him was basically Trump's body man or or valet right and every president has one of those this guy left the navy he was assigned to the white house during Trump's administration left the navy and decided to go work for uh former president Trump as his as his valet um. after his term ended, pretty much. So he was on the former president's payroll. So of those counts that I mentioned, Mr. Nada has six counts that he has himself uh, as a co-defendant. So, you know, Donald Trump's going to get all the attention And he's going to be the one going on social media and doing all this stuff. Uh, But uh, Mr. Nada is a co-defendant as well, and he's, he's dealing with six counts. So, really, if you had, like, the worst possible judge ever, I say worst, I mean, you know, let's say the toughest judge ever, right and you were convicted of all these counts that Trump has been uh, indicted on he could spend literally he could be sentenced to a hundred years in jail a hundred that's how serious these charges are and um Again, like I said, go read it. Um, If those of you who are listening who are defense attorneys, I'd be interested to hear any feedback um, about how you would think you would defend that, right? Once you read it. And most of you probably have read it, that listen, if you haven't had a chance to read it, and you listen to podcasts, please do. Um, It's a historical document. This is the first time that we have had a former president of the United States criminally indicted at a federal level, right? He's already made history by being indicted at a state level in New York. He's got 34 counts there. And probably within the next month or two, he'll have another state indictment in the state of Georgia. May or may not. Um, all indications are that he will be indicted. Don't think it'll be as many charges as he's facing in New York or at the federal level, but maybe. All depends, right? That's up to the DA um Fonnie Willis here in Fulton County in Georgia. So um, I wanted to read the first four sections. It's not going to be long, but it's the first four sections of this indictment. So you can kind of get a grasp of how serious this really, really is. Um, And if you had a chance during the week to see or hear uh, Jack Smith do his... um, His press conference. It was very short and to the point, and he basically said he'll let the indictment do the talking. Um, this is real. And uh, we're going to get into the rhetoric more so in the second half because kind of highlights how I want to name this podcast. I won't tell you the name of the podcast until the second half, but Um this is this is real. Um this is a very detailed case and those of us in the African American community, if we saw we get hit with an indictment like this, be tough sledding. Usually when the federal government comes after you, they've got resources. and they're going to lay them all to bear. And we've seen a number of African-American officials get hit with federal indictments, and very rarely do they beat them, right? Most of the time, people, once they see the indictment, they work with their lawyers and they try to work out some kind of plea agreement so it doesn't go to trial and, you know, get probably the least, the less, most, the least severe sentencing, right? But then you have a few. We had a few here locally who wanted to have the whole spectacle of trial and all that. And they got hit with the hammer. And they're in federal prison right now. When I say locally, I'm based out of Georgia. Out of Atlanta, even. So, for those of you in the Atlanta area, you know which individuals I'm talking about, especially when I'm talking about African Americans, right? So anyway, this is the Introduction. And I'm just going to read the first four sections. Defendant Donald J Trump was the 45th president of the United States of America. He held office from January 20th, 2017 until January 20th, 2021. As president, Trump had lawful access to the most sensitive classified documents and national defense information gathered and owned by the United States government, including information from the agencies that comprise the United States intelligence community and the United States Department of Defense. Over the course of his presidency, Trump gathered newspapers, press clippings, letters, notes, cards, photographs, official documents, and other materials in cardboard boxes that he kept in the White House. Among the materials Trump stored in his boxes were hundreds of classified documents. Classified documents Trump stored in his boxes included information regarding defense and weapons capabilities of both the United States and foreign countries, United States nuclear programs, potential vulnerabilities of the United States and its allies to military attack, and plans for possible retaliation in response to a foreign attack. The unauthorized disclosure of these classified documents could put at risk the national security of the United States, foreign relations, the safety of the United States military and human sources, and the continued viability of sensitive intelligence collection methods. At 12 p.m. on January 20th, 2021, Trump ceased to be president. As he departed, the White House Trump caused, caused scores of boxes many of which contain classified documents to be transferred, transported to the Mar-a-Lago club in Palm beach, Florida, where he maintained his residence. Trump was not authorized to possess or retain those classified documents. So that's the case. In a summary, Uh. And those of you who follow this, right? Uh, You know, from the very beginning, especially if, even if you weren't really aware that it was happening that day when you woke up and you saw on the news that the FBI was at Mar-a-Lago, right? Um that was really kind of the start of the national focus on this issue, because up until that point, it had been kind of a backdoor thing, right? Um, It was a situation where uh, the National Archives was trying to work with the former president to get these documents back, right? They were trying to just get all the stuff back. And and during Trump's administration, uh, there had been this constant fight between archives and his administration about, Documents, even to the point where there were some documents being shredded, and they literally had to send people into the White House, archivists into the White House to stop the president from doing that. Right? So that was like at the very beginning, and with so much stuff that happened during those four years. People probably forgot about that. So, this is this is not necessarily something new that um, National Archives was dealing with with him, but uh, nonetheless, you know they they felt that they could be reasonable. And they gave them as much time as they felt that they could, not really knowing all of the documents, but they knew that documents were not turned in, right? And especially to the level of how many classified documents. So there there are two things in play. Right. There's the overall history of the president while he was in office, the documents that would comprise it. So when people go to these presidential libraries, that's what's in them. Right. These documents, they've been they get cataloged by the National Archives. And then once the libraries are built then people will have access to them and that's how people write these biographies and do these doctoral dissertations and all that about presidents and the history of presidents, right? The National Archives are the curators of these records and then for each presidential library that exists, they control the access to the information. It's not like Each one of these presidents saves all this stuff and then they hold it until they build a library and then they put it out there. Not unless it's something really, really personal, like, you know, their photos with family and, you know, baseballs signed by major leaguers, you know, stuff like that, little knickknack stuff. Archives really not interested they're interested in the documents, right? because the documents tell the story about what was going on during the administration so basically, you know National Archives is a museum, and so by law they they have access to these records, and a lot of this came into play in the seventies because of Nixon and uh, President Richard Nixon and the tapes and all that stuff surrounding Watergate. And in the aftermath of that, they came up with the Presidential Records Act, right? Now, the classified stuff, that's a whole nother conversation, and this is why we have these criminal charges, because really the Presidential Records Act You keep documents that they want to archive too long they you know you can get charged with a misdemeanor for that, right But holding these classified documents these documents that have all this sensitive information, well that's when the criminal stuff kicks in, and that's where we're at now, right That's why Donald Trump is facing thirty seven counts in a federal indictment. And I know if you follow social media, especially Twitter and all this stuff, people are just going back and forth and they, you know, rattling off this and trying to compare this apple to that orange and all that. I really want you, as a listener, to focus on the 49 page indictment. Don't worry about what some president did in the in the 2000s or the 1900s or the 1800s, none of that, right? Don't care about any other presidential scandals, whatever. Focus on this because the bottom line is, and this is a popular phrase, but I won't say it accurately, but if you F around, you find out. Right? And that's where we are. Donald Trump thought that he could do what he wanted to do. And now he's realizing that he didn't. He didn't have that authority, he didn't have that power. And so people are trying to say, well, you know, you're going after him because of this and that and other. <sighs> he's running for president well he's running for president cuz he thought that would stop them from doing what they did with this indictment he thought that would nix that now we found out in a mother mother report that it's not a practice to indict a sitting president if he commits a crime right And although they try to say, well, they didn't find any collusion and all that, the the reality is that they did say he was guilty of obstruction of justice. But they couldn't indict him for that because he was a sitting president. And that's not a standard practice. It's not a law, but it's not a practice. And so if the Department of Justice is not going to go after him for that, while he's president, then they can't do anything. They won't do anything. But the problem is, is that for Mr. Trump, is that he's not the president anymore. And he wasn't the president when he had these documents that he shouldn't have had. And despite all this talk about witch hunts and political vendettas, the reality is, all he had to do was just give him back. And we would not be in this situation. No matter how much he protested and argued and all this stuff, if he had just gave him back, even mad, being angry and gave him back, right? We wouldn't be in this situation. And this is not a good situation and I'll get into that further in the second half, but this is not a good situation for the United States. And some people say, well, you know, if you don't go after people. The day that I'm recording this podcast uh, in a whole nother country, Scotland, they just indicted, a former minister over there, right? If you break the law, you break the law. And especially if you are a citizen, you know, well, at least that's the rule they've always applied to black folks, (laughs) right? Or they, you know, they, 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 don't have any questions about that. And I guarantee you, if this had been Barack Obama, oh my God, right? It had been insane. They had been, you know, making sure he wanted to be arrested. They wanted to have the arrest on film and all this stuff, you know. But unfortunately for those people, it's not Barack Obama. It's Donald Trump. And whether they like it or not, they have to deal with it because he did this. Nobody manufactured this crisis for him but him. And since he doesn't want to be accountable for that, it is really not your place as a Republican or anybody else's for that matter to be accountable on his behalf. If I or you had committed or had been indicted on the same charge. there wouldn't be all this reaction. Maybe our closest loved ones, but not this outrage. You know why I know that? Because it happens every day. There are people who are being sentenced for having just one document. There's a whole HBO special that's out about an Air Force officer who was uh, was a reality winner, right? Who, you know, did three years. So, you know, and like I said, in the second half, I'm going to dive into it and tell you the title of this podcast because I want you to get the gist of where we are. I know a lot of other people, the emergency podcast, the minute that the document came out and you had all these news specials and all that, but I wanted to do something a little different because I think it's something that we as black people can relate to. And tie it into some other things that happened. And then you'll understand why uh, the podcast is going to be titled What It Is. Right? I know I'm, I'm sounding a little mysterious. I usually don't do the mystery thing, but we're really a good teaser, but I think you'll get it. So we'll catch y'all on the other side. All right, and we are back. So, I'm going to get back to the indictment, right? But it's a couple of other stories I wanted to bring out, right? That were Good things one uh this is June, so this is when the u s Supreme Court starts releasing opinions, right and the first one uh, at least the first one I mean they may have done one another one, but the one, the first one I've heard about was the Supreme Court uh, upholding the Voting Rights Act or what's left of it, right? Because they've pretty much, the Roberts Court has pretty much weakened it, but Section 2 voting rights act was upheld in this case Allen versus Milligan This was a case in with Alabama in which Alabama has seven congressional districts The state is 27% African American They basically drew the maps where there's only one out of seven that's a majority african American district or one that can be represented represented by an african American right and that uh I want to say her name is Terry Sewell. she's been there for a while, so that's the only district and Folks in Alabama, especially this brother, uh, Evan Milligan, uh, I think the name of his group is Alabama Forward, along with the NAACP and others, have been pushing to try to get a second majority black district in the state of Alabama. And of course, Alabama legislature is Republican led, so that didn't happen. And they basically drew the maps where the overwhelming majority of the black population in the state of Alabama is in one district, right? And if you get a hold of a map of Alabama that shows the pockets where there's African-American population or majority populations, you know, in the state, you'll see that it spreads across from West to East. And even though a big pocket is in the Western part of the state, there's a pretty sizable pocket on the Eastern side as well. But those votes were pretty much packed. So that way, uh You would only get that one district. And since you divided up the rest of the the black vote in the state, then it creates these six districts that are majority white. And in Alabama, majority white means majority Republican. Right. You don't have dynamics. Birmingham is the biggest metropolitan area there. You don't have the dynamics like in a metro Chicago or metro New York or a metro, even Atlanta, where you could have a solid pocket of white Democrats out there, right? That's not how it works in Alabama. So basically, even with seven districts, state of Alabama could only get two, I mean, only get one. And all they were asking for was two out of the seven. Right. So that's going to play an impact in other states. Mississippi is one. Uh, Georgia is another one. Um, Texas. uh, Where you will see. That those states have filed a legation. Georgia was literally. Determined that it was in the same violation of Section 2 like Alabama, the Supreme Court affirmed. But basically, everybody just kind of stayed it because by the time it got to the court, it was right up on the 2022 elections. So all these states went ahead and had the elections in these districts that the courts even said, yeah, they're not right including Alabama, but they went ahead and had the elections, right? Which, in the end result, gave the Republicans enough votes to get a majority outside of some surprising victories in other parts of the country. And now we have Kevin McCarthy as the speaker. So you see where this is, right? You shut us out. And those are the kind of results you get. So we will see, right, if now that the Supreme Court has made its ruling, that the lower courts that have kind of put a stay on all these other district plans in, in these other states, especially in these southern states, we'll see if these legislatures go ahead and redraw those maps without further litigation. We'll see. Right? But then, I guess the other story that I wanted to highlight um, has to deal with justice. Justice. Um, something that a lot of people may not have been aware of, but it's out there, and and even more so that it was another victory for victims of police brutality, and Ben Crump being the attorney, right. So, up until this week, Attorney Crump had a hand in the largest settlement in U.S. history, considering I say brutality, the term is police misconduct, right? But it was the largest settlement. He was involved in that, the $27 million that was tied in with the murder of George Floyd, right? Well, in New Haven, Connecticut, a $45 million settlement has been reached in the civil police brutality case involving Richard Randy Cox, a black man now paralyzed from chest down following an arrest by police officers in New Haven, Connecticut nearly a year ago now because unfortunately I say unfortunately, as far as media attention, right? This didn't get all that stuff. Brother Cox lived. He wasn't even shot in his situation. He was being arrested. Um, on a weapons charge, right? And on the way to the police station, the officer driving the transport van, uh, slammed on the brakes and Mr. Cox flew headfirst into a metal partition I was in the van. And you say, well, wow, you know, he got sued for that. Well, it wasn't just that, right? So obviously Mr. Cox got injured and that's where the majority of his injury took place. But what happened afterwards was when they got to the Sallyport, to the jail, uh, the other officers thought Mr. Cox was drunk and just not cooperating because he was drunk. And so, you know, they handled him. They got him out. threw him. You know, they carried him around in the jail and did all this stuff, you know, not realizing that this guy was really, really injured or not being attentive enough. So I want to say there's, there's, eight officers, no, I'm sorry, there's five officers involved in that, five. And they were actually charged later for the way that they handled Mr. Cox. And uh, so now uh, the city of New Haven, Connecticut has reached a settlement with the family and it's to the tune of $45 million dollars. And um the majority of that, it's not like he's gonna be, you know, showing up at Film Festival or the Monaco Grand Prix or Abu Dhabi or whatever. He's not gonna be living a life of luxury. That's basically to cover his medical expenses. Because he's paralyzed from the chest down. He literally has to be fed and diaper changed, all that kind of stuff, right? So this is just to, in the best way possible, offset a lot of the costs that are going to be incurred for the duration of his life. All because police officers were negligent in their duty. Very similar to the situation with Freddie Gray in Baltimore, right? So we don't know if these officers are going to be convicted, but they've been charged and two of them I know have been fired. So there's that. Now you would say, especially those of you in a certain political bent that well, that sounds great. Donald Trump might be going to jail. Uh, brother got forty-five million dollars for being mishandled, mistreated by the police, and a political juryman was overturned by this United States Supreme Court. So you would say, huh, this is a good week, right? the title of this podcast is Don't Get Too Excited. Do not get too excited. Right? One, going back to the indictment. For those of you who follow the case, the name Eileen Cannon may mean something to you. For those who have not, Eileen Cannon, when all this stuff started the first time it went to court, because remember, there was a challenge by Trump's lawyers as to whether the search was legal and should the investigation even continue and all this stuff. So it was taken to district court in Florida. Eileen Cannon was the judge. Eileen Cannon is a big Trump supporter. And if you follow social media, you see this picture floating around with how devoted of a Trump supporter she was. Well, and she got appointed like in the latter, in the last year of Trump's term. Right. Marco Rubio. Sponsored her and she got in. Right. so (laughs) in that first case if y'all remember she's the judge who said that there needed to be a special master to oversee what the justice department could look at what documents they could process and even to the point where she said that (sighs) Maybe they shouldn't. In other words, she did everything she could to slow the process down for even the investigation to take place. And it had to take the 11th Circuit, which, by the way, appointed a sister. Well, a sister got appointed to, let me say it that way, appointed to that 11th Circuit. Now, so now there's another there's a black judge, another black judge up there. But the Eleventh Circuit, prior to that sister getting appointed, basically slammed. They didn't just throw out her stuff, her decisions. They 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 criticized her heavily uh, for her even her thought process of the rulings that she made, and just basically shut everything down, the special master, all that stuff. Shut all that down, right? And the Department of Justice, you know, they did their strategy. They went ahead and said, okay, well, yeah, if you want a special master, okay, we want that guy. And this guy was somebody that the Trump people liked. So they said, well, let's have this guy. And, you know, they were going through now. They were filing the motions that, you know, to appeal her decision in the 11th Circuit, but they were going along with it. Because they kind of had a feeling the 11th Circuit, even as conservative as the circuit they are, would basically realize she was winging it, right? Well, guess who's going to be the judge in the arraignment on Tuesday? Eileen Cannon. And so she, if she doesn't recuse herself on Tuesday, will be the judge to decide, one, whether Mr. Trump has to stay in jail, which we seriously doubt, until the trial, or he can be, you know, get on bond or whatever, right? She also will set the dates for the next steps, including when the trial actually happens. Right? So everybody's just kind of wondering, well, who was the clerk who did this and other? So it's kind of like a lottery. It's not really controlled by a human being per se. It's just kind of by chance. And if you're Donald Trump, that should give you at least some relief to know that Eileen Cannon is going to be the judge to determine when the trial is going to be. Right Now, Special Counsel Smith has said, I want a speedy trial. And usually within the constitutional right of the defendant, you want to have a speedy trial per se just all depends on what your strategy is, right? And Florida tends the Florida federal courts tend to have I think one attorney used the term rocket docket where they try to get these cases done within ninety days of the arraignment or ninety days in indictment. And uh don't think that's going to happen. Not if Judge Cannon is going to be the one deciding the timeline. So, Donald Trump may be running for president again with this indictment looming over his head the whole time he's running. Now, fortunately for him, the majority of Republican candidates are not going to use that against him. As a matter of fact, they are all jumping on (laughs) The Department of Justice. They're trying to say this is a Biden political vendetta. And this is really the reason why I don't want you to get too excited. If you see and hear the responses of people, it's one particular person in particular, Carrie Lake, if you may remember her. She's the broadcaster turned Trump sycophant, right? She's the one who ran for governor in Arizona, got beat by Katie Hobbs by 17,000 votes. And she, in her mind, thinks that she is the governor of Arizona, right? She's following the same thing. All the election was rigged. She was the one that had the folks sitting out there with guns and stuff, watching people drop ballots into the drop boxes. Yeah, this girl. And so now she came to Georgia. Trump was here too. But she came to Georgia and basically toward the press said, we got Trump's back. And the 75 million, which is an inaccurate number, the seventy and there's 75 million card carrying members of the NRA, that's got us back too, right? And we're coming after you, Special Counsel Smith, you, President Biden, and you, Attorney General Mer- Merrick Garland, we're coming after you if Trump gets convicted, right? She said that. Now, I paraphrased a little bit, but you can go find it. Google it. She basically threatened violence. Now, I say inaccurate because, yeah, Trump got 75 million votes, but there's only 5 million NRA members, right? Not to say that the other 70 million don't have guns. I'm just saying there's only 5 million car carrying members. Rest, I don't know. And... Out of those 70 million people, 75, I really don't think that a lot of them are going to go to arms to defend Donald Trump. It's going to be quite a few. And those are the ones that you need to watch because there's like a whole web page or Twitter like thing called the Donald, right? that all these folks are just spouting off all these things. And then you got members of Congress, this guy, Andy Biggs, right? Uh, Another Arizonan, Uh, talking about eye for an eye. And then you got this guy from Louisiana who physically accosted somebody at a press conference, a reporter or somebody that was, there at the president asked a question and this congressman physically grabbed this man and pushed him away. Like walked several feet hugging his and then pushed him away. And he started using military jargon in his Twitter. (sighs) Right. Right. And then, even before the indictment came out, there was a sister named GK Owens. Her friends called her AJ. And her and this neighbor of hers, this white woman, had been going at it for a while, right? It's, Obviously, the white woman didn't like this black family of four. Well, mother of four. Her and her kids, they, she didn't like them being neighbors. And they had had arguments. Well, on this particular Friday, June the 2nd, uh Miss Owens' children was playing with some other children, you know, near her yard. She decided she wanted to fuss at them and tell them get away from her house and yada yada this that and the other, and somehow some way, um, one of the kids had an iPad. Somehow she got a hold of it, or they had dropped it or left it, and she picked it up and threw it at one of the children, right? So the kids went and told their mama, hey, look, you know, that lady threw it through the iPad. I don't, I assume they damaged it, you know, but they did. She threw the iPad at the kids. So the mama, Miss Owens, decided she wanted to go over there and talk to her and just find out did she really do that? But before Miss Owens got any kind of verbal response, the neighbor White woman shot her through the door, similar to what happened with that old guy, old white guy and Ralph Yarl, the young man who went to the wrong house looking for his siblings. She shot her through the door. And her child was standing next to her when she got shot. And she died. And, similar to the situation in Kansas City, police were a little slow in putting the handcuffs on this woman. Now, in Florida, this happened in Florida. Ocola, to be exact. The way the Stand Your Ground rule works in Florida is that you can't make an arrest as a law enforcement officer until you can... Prove through an investigation that it doesn't qualify for stand your ground, right? And then, of course, then you can reassert it. If the police does do make an arrest, then you can reassert it in court. That's what happened with Zimmerman, right? When he killed Trayvon Martin, the police said, yeah, that doesn't look like stand your ground to me. But when it got to court, the jury said otherwise, right? So that delays the police from arresting folks. Now, fortunately for them, she's an older white woman, so she really's not she really wasn't planning on leaving, and of course she thought she was in the right to shoot somebody through the door, especially a neighbor that she didn't like. And killed her in front of her own child, right? But after a couple of days and mounting public pressure, that's why we got arrested. (sighs) Again, you would say, well, Fleming the arrest. That was a good thing, right? She got arrested. Why can't we be excited about that? Because in the bigger scope of things, I want you to understand that a lot of this stuff that has led to uh, Randy Cox and George Floyd and Philando Castile and Alton Sterling and Breonna Taylor and Sandra Bland and hundreds of others, right, that have either died or have been severely injured because of police misconduct, right? Because of what we saw on January the 6th, 2021, when these people start chatting and conversating because this Donald site was the one that they used along with fortune and others to help organize the rally that led to the riot on January 6th, the insurrection. Right. When you start seeing these folks moving and all this stuff, and now the Supreme court, this conservative Supreme court has said, you can't deny these black folks, adequate representation or Latino folks or AAPI folks. You can't deny them representation in Congress based on their race. Can't do that. This all feeds into that frenzy. That all feeds into that replacement theory BS. Right? Right? That's what stokes these fires. And that's why instead of being excited, we have to be vigilant. Because as Malcolm might say, chickens might be coming home to roost, but until they get to that barn, until they get to that hen house, we got to be on our P's and Q's. This is not a time for patting on the back and celebrations. It's a time for us to acknowledge our victories and keep pressing forward. This is a time for us to know that it's just like and I I use sports analogies a lot, it's just like what we're seeing in the NBA finals, right? When you see a team win the first game and then the other team comes back and makes adjustments and wins the second game. And it's just a battle of adjustments. It's a battle until one team finally gets that championship, right? That's where we are. We get a victory, but we've gotta watch out for the adjustments. We gotta watch out for how these folks are going to come. Because January sixth was a trial balloon to see what would happen. To see how the government would respond, to see how the Department of Justice would respond to see how politicians would respond to see how people in respective communities, especially our community, would respond, right? Will we be in fear or will we say, okay, so, you know, now it's just kind of like, in this age where it's like we get information instantly and then as soon as we get new information we forget about the old one and we just you know we're always focusing on what's now 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 and they're hoping that you don't remember how these folks mobilized and organized in that trial balloon on January the 6th, 2021. So when they come harder the next time, right? Because they're already figuring out how they can try to maneuver around that Supreme Court decision. They're already trying to figure out how they can avoid paying settlements from this point forward for police misconduct, right? I mean, Florida is your example. They have literally passed a law in the state of Florida and in other states, too. That if you run over somebody like the guy in Charlottes, Virginia, Charlottesville, Virginia, if you run over somebody that's protesting, that's fine. See, all these little state legislators are passing all these laws, right? That's all part of their counter move. They, they never stop. And the only way we can beat them is that we can't stop either. There's an old saying, there's no rest for the weary. There's no rest for the victorious either. There's no rest for the righteous either. Right. And I must say this without really naming a name or names. But I really think at this point in time, there are some black leaders who have been praised for being militant voices and strong voices in our community that seem to are getting caught up in other folks' rhetoric, whether it's dealing with vaccines or immigrants or LGBTQ issues. Instead of focusing in on us. You know, historically, we as black leaders have stepped forward and talked about national issues. Right. I'm doing a podcast about Trump's indictment, for example. Right. But my focus is not so much on whether Donald Trump's going to beat that charge or not. My focus is on the protection of my people when his folks lose it. Or how do we get to a point to stop them from losing it? So no harm will come. Or no further harm, I should say, would come to my people. That's why I'm saying don't get excited. I'm saying at this particular point in time is now the time that we really, really need to be focused. To me, the vaccine issue is over with. It's done. I could care less about COVID and the vaccine. I know that the virus is still lingering around. It's going to be around for a long time probably forever, right? Some people took the shot. Some people didn't. Majority of people did take the shot. I'm what I took it. I had COVID and I took the shot. Over and done with. That's so 2021 for me. I'm focusing right now about who might be shooting me with an AR-15 because I'm a black man. And those people think that I'm trying to replace them. And I think that if you're really, really concerned about the welfare of black people, which, by the way, COVID was doing more damage to our community than it was to anybody else because of systematic health disparities, right? Poverty, all these things were led to a, almost a perfect storm. It didn't matter about your personal health condition. If you're in a situation where you couldn't afford adequate health care, you were just as acceptable to COVID as anybody else. That may have been considered high risk. Right. Or if you live in conditions where you really couldn't help but be around people. Or you work these essential jobs, which they classified as not just hospital workers, but grocery store workers. Right. I don't care about the shot. I care about what got us to a point where we were the most vulnerable of all the groups. And now that that to me is over. The crisis part is over. Now we need to be focused on the new crisis. Not the vaccines. Not the immigrants. Not whether trans people can go to the bathroom or play sports. But what are we going to do about white supremacy and the threat to our nation that it is? You can have an opinion about whatever you want to. It's your voice. It's your First Amendment right. But I'm expecting leaders to address the battle that's right in front of them, not the side skirmishes that have no major impact on what we're dealing with. And if you want to argue with me and say that that's more important than dealing with U.S. congressmen and former gubernatorial candidates openly threatening civil war and attacking people that don't support a guy that's been twice indicted, twice impeached, and held liable for sexual assault. They would rather have him than you. Breathing. If what you're talking about is more important than that, have at it. What I'm going to do and what I encourage other people to do, to have podcasts like mine, to have voices on social media, is to focus on what's right in front of you. Because once you get rid of that, once you get rid of the scourge of white supremacy, We can handle everything else. But as long as that's out there. You're not going to get the answers you want. You're not going to get the solutions you want. Because it's always going to be tainted. Don't get too excited about. Victories. Not until we actually win the ultimate victory. And that's ending white supremacy in America. Until next time.